pray together. Um, Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for um, for your work in in us as a church, Lord. Thank you that you have um, have have established us in hope, Lord. That uh, that that even in this early stages as a church plant, we are incredibly grateful that we get to be um, a beacon of light, Lord, a symbol of hope that we have in you, Lord. Jesus, I do want to pray for the Carter family. Thank you so much for their three um, young boys who we know and love. And we um, pray, Lord, that they too will be used mightily by you as, um, as, as symbols and of, as a reminder for the entire world, for the hope that is in um, your son, Jesus. So thank you for this time. We pray that you will continue to build our hearts in anticipation for your coming kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, please um, go ahead and have a seat. And uh, thank you, Carter family. Let's uh, go ahead and give them a little round of applause. And just thank the Carter family. Um, and uh, yeah, again, um, very glad that you all are here. Just re- re- really um, just just thankful to get to be in this time together this uh, this this season. And so I'm going to just introduce really where we're headed. Okay, because for the next the next um, four weeks, we're entering into our Advent series, which is something that we'll do every year. Um, and if you know, if you've been here all along, we've been going through a couple different series while the rest of Redemption Church has been um, wrapping up a series that they have been in. And now um, we're all on the same page. So that's great. Even Tempe, Redemption Tempe, we're even doing the same thing as them. But uh, we're, we're all going through this Advent series. And, and as you see there, the, the, the um, title is Return of the King. As I've said before, we're the only congregation that gets to have uh, a hobbit-like um, figure preaching through the Return of the King. If you know the uh, Lord of the Rings there, um, everyone else has these huge like strapping athletes that don't know anything about what a, a hobbit is like, but, <laughs> but I do. So that's my claim to fame. Um, but so let, let me introduce where we're, where we're headed. Okay. So, um, as I said earlier, the word advent means the arrival or anticipation of, of, of someone important, of someone significant. Um, and so as we consider Jesus, our, our tendency is to look back and think of, um, yeah, we remember Jesus, right? Born in a manger, born in Bethlehem, a little baby, um, you know, born in a manger a long time ago. And we build up each year in anticipation for him, for, for, for the, the baby coming. But historically, actually, the church has gone through this Advent season to build anticipation for um, the return of Jesus. Not, not only looking back to when he came as a child, but, but looking forward to his promised return when he would come and when he would, would usher in his kingdom. But probably many of us are like, okay, so that's kind of end times stuff. That's end times conversation. Does that have anything to do with, you know, little baby born in a manger? Um, I don't, like those two don't go to get, In fact, for most of us, probably whether it's December or um, April or June or anywhere in between, we often find ourselves saying, um, oh, yeah, that's right. Jesus. Uh, What does he have to do with that? What is who who he is and what he said? How does that speak into my life now? 
Um, is there anything that, that really who he is, what he's done? How does that fit into us right now? And you may have seen like bumper stickers or someone on the phone might say, oh, you know, Jesus, he's the reason for the season. And some of us are even like, what does that mean? Or, oh, yeah, that's right. He's a baby born, you know, a long time ago. That's what this is all about. But um, what, what we need to see and need to understand is that um, the, 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 the garden God's creation and God's and then the fall when we as humanity turned away and said, no, thanks, God, we don't want your ways and God's promises. And then God's um, the beginning of the fulfillment of his promise in the manger and then the cross and then um, the grave, the empty tomb and the coming kingdom. Um, There is a thread that runs throughout. It is God's story over which he is the author and the hero, and it has everything to do with our lives today and now. And so um, what we're going to do, and just uh, to kind of kick off this series, is we're going to go through kind of um, the very simple, and then we're going to go to the more complex. We're going to wade through a lot of stuff, and then we're going to arrive back at the simple. Okay, and the simple is this. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And then what we're going to do today, we're going to wade through some potentially kind of murky waters and kind of do the hard work. We're going to get our sleeves rolled up of really looking at, well, um, okay, he's coming. He came. Like, what does that mean? What does that mean for our lives? What does his kingdom mean? How does it all fit together? We're going to walk through that. Normally, as you know, I like to hunker down in a passage and just kind of walk through that. And that's typically what we do. Um, I'm really excited. In, a, in about a month, we're going to kick off in the book of Mark, and we're going to spend a year and a half in the book of Mark. And so we'll just be doing that. But this day right now and this season gives us an opportunity to kind of step back, um, or if you will, to get like a 10,000 foot view of the big picture of Jesus and his kingdom that belongs to him. And then we'll end I, I, I promise you, at the end of this day, we're going to come back to seeing, very simply, Jesus is coming, and how that defines our lives. So, um, I admit, that's a tall order, okay, we have a lot to go through, so I'm going to pray again, because as I've shared before, um, I'm not just a communicator of truth up here, I don't just kind of, you know, give, like, you know, um, like a l- 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 lecture, and just, you know, hope it's, you know, stuff that entertains us, or that's information that we need to download, but what um, I'm trusting in this time that God is transforming us, that he's forming us as his people, and he's constantly shaping our hearts to anticipate him, and then that we leave here constantly convicted and aware that his promises define every moment of our lives. Okay, so I can't, I can't produce that result, so I'm going to pray and ask God to bring us there throughout this time in His Word. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You that we are going to be looking at a lot of Scriptures today. Lord, I pray that we would um, be reminded, Lord, that, that this is Your Word. I pray that You would take us through whatever kind of journey we need to go on through this time. Lord, I pray that Um, Lord, if we have been flippant and kind of nonchalant, I pray that you will convict us of that and that you will um, open us and give us intense concentration on you and on on what you say you are doing and you have done and what you will do and how that defines our lives. And Lord, I pray if there are those who are broken and anxious, 
Lord, I pray that you would reveal the hope in Jesus. So Lord, do your work in us in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I forgot to ask if you need a Bible. So, my bad. Hooking mistake. Um, hey, if you didn't bring a Bible or you don't have one at all, please hold your hand up. Hold it up high. Um, we want to make sure everybody has a Bible, so hold it up high. Um, and um, we will have all the scriptures up here on the on the screen. If you don't own one, please, even if you're not holding your hand up right now, um, take one. We want everybody to have a Bible. Put your name in it, underline stuff. Um, please do. So they'll be in the back there. Um, so hold your hand up high. But again, we're, we're going to be going through a lot of scriptures. So first, um, let's just kind of dive in, okay? This is a, a historic text referred to as the Benedictus, or the, the, the prophecy of a man named Zechariah. And so picking up in verse 68, this is what he says. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant to us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. So this is, um, this is read um, before the birth of Jesus. This is read in the time before the, uh, the coming of Jesus. This is um, to basically reveal to us, you and me today in 2014, that God's people throughout all of history have been anticipating. They've been, they've been waiting. Again, that, that, that word Advent, this season of, of, of hopeful anticipation is not just something that you and I experience. It's not just something that, you know, eight-year-olds, they want to know what they're going to get from Toys R Us or whatever. There's this anticipation that this has been built into God's people from the very beginning. Um, but what were they anticipating? What were they looking for? Um, Look with me right now. We're going to turn to the Old Testament of um, how God's people were constantly looking for and waiting for God's promises. So what were those promises? That he would make right what had been broken. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, it says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And that um, prophecy from Jeremiah was given to God's people in a time when they were um, full of, of frustration and questioning 
Is my life experience, does this define me? Is this, what hope do we have? Um, what, is, what is God going to do about this problem? See, what happened in the garden, let me go back there for a minute to help us understand, is God created a people and says constantly throughout, I will be your God and you will be my people. He says, I um, am creating you in my image so you will reflect me in all of life. Everything you do, your work, your relationships, how you work with the land, how you interact with others, how you view yourself, all of life will be a worship of God. But because of our own hearts, our own deception, and we believe the lie of a bully, um, Satan, the enemy of God, convinced us there's something better. God's way isn't the way that you want to go. And a bully came and knocked us down and bloodied our nose, took our lunch money, ruined life, ruined families, and, and, and so God's people throughout had been left walking through this place of just brokenness and needing to be restored to God and needing all of life to be restored. And so in this case, the people are wondering, um, God, when are you going to flex your muscle? When are you going to rescue us, your people? The bully has, um, is winning. What are you going to do? And throughout just one passage I'll read, there are some foreshadowings and some, some ways that the people saw constantly throughout. God is at work. God is at work. He's, he's, still, um, he's still in charge. You still have hope, even in seemingly hopeless situations. So look at one passage in Exodus chapter 14 with me, where it says this. Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be still. See, there were moments where the people were like, all right, here it is. God is coming with the sword. He's going to show the, our oppressors. You know, he's going to deal with them. We just stand here and watch God at work. Watch God in his power and his wisdom work his thing out and rescue his people. But throughout the Old Testament, you see time in and time out. You see that happen, and then the people fall back into oppression, and the bully comes back. And life is defined again by the bully, by brokenness, by hopelessness. And so um, that's why there's this anticipation that's why when we now get to the Christmas story, when we get to um, the beginning of the idea that God is coming to the earth, that, that, uh, the word for that, which we sing at this time, is what? Emmanuel. Right? I'm not going to sing it. Um, but Emmanuel. Right? We sing songs and we anticipate and we, we look for and we remember, oh yeah, God with us, a baby in a manger. It makes a little more sense when we understand the, the plight of God's people and the need for a rescuer. But that was an unlikely circumstance, right? If you remember um, all the cases in, in Matthew and Luke, if you've ever heard the Christmas story, there was confusion, like a baby in a manger? Like, okay, I'm not really expecting this, but I guess, you know, I guess it makes some sense. And then, um, in the book of Mark, okay, and I just want to acknowledge we're going through a lot. We're going through a ton of scripture because we need to get the bigger picture here. In Mark, the book of Mark, um, or the, the, it's, it's, the, it's telling the story of Jesus. 
And, and the author starts out with Jesus, basically um, the good news. And Jesus proclaims his message and he, he, says, um, he says this. These are the first words of Jesus here when he kind of shows up on the scene in, in, in the book of Mark and he says this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, the, the, the people of that time would have been like, okay, like the music is starting to ramp up. That's right. Now God's going to flex his muscle. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. Okay, this isn't just this like, all right, you know, they didn't have this sense of like, oh yeah, out there someday things are going to get better, whatever. Jesus is here. They didn't understand the cross. They didn't understand all this stuff. And Jesus announces the kingdom of God is at hand. And the people are like, yes, yes, where's your sword? Like, bring it in. Take care of the bully. Take care of the oppressor. We're ready for it. And, and, and then let's look again a, a few chapters down in the book of Mark to see um, the, the, the confusion when Jesus says, that's right. My kingdom's here. The king has arrived. The hero is here. And I'm going to go die on a cross. Like, I, we talked about this last week. That word, even the cross, was like a cuss word. Um, people didn't even write out the whole word um, that for the word cross. It was a gross, shameful, despicable way to, way to die. And so when Jesus starts saying, the king's here, the hero's here, and um, I'm going to a cross, his people are confused. Pick up with me with some of his disciples, his closest followers, says this in Mark chapter 8. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. He said this plainly, right? Like he's talking about, and they're just like, what? And then Peter, it's always Peter, um, speaks up and he takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him by turning and seeing his disciples Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. If you picture Peter, if you look there, actually right before that, Peter talks about Jesus and he says some things. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Peter. Um, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. In fact, you are speaking the wisdom of God right now. And Peter's like, That's right. And then Jesus is like, Get behind me, Satan. Peter's like, no, 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 not Satan. Remember? I, Peter's like, I'm not Satan. I just, just said some good things. But, but what does he say? Your mind is not on the things of God, but on the things of man. Okay, well, where are we right now? Where are you right now in this moment, in this season? Considering the kingdom of God. Considering how does Christmas relate to Easter? How does that relate with a kingdom, with, with heaven, right? The word we're more familiar with and comfortable with. Heaven and what goes on there is actually the way Jesus talks about it is the kingdom of God. When he says the kingdom of God is at hand, that is directly related with heaven. But, but in our day right now, is that the way we think about it? Does, 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 does the story of God the plans of God, the rule of God, the kingdom of God, does that relate to our life right now in this moment? 
um, I submit to you that, that, that most of us um, ha- have set our minds on the things of man and, and not on the things of God. Some of it has kind of been, it's the culture, the environment, um, in some ways the theologies that we've grown up with have really set us up for a chopped up little kind of little bits of the story of God that don't relate. So I'm actually going to have us watch a video right now. Um, and so um, it's a six minute video. Okay, so let me just explain. And then after this, we're going to continue to wade through some of the murkiness. But it's a really helpful video that um, just kind of sit there and, and just watch, um, I think, a, a very helpful explanation of how we kind of connect some of the dots in what God is doing in his story. So, yeah, if you will go ahead and um, watch this, um, watch this right now. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're they're different in their nature, but... Here's what's really interesting, is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy, because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning, where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world, and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted... God out, and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a clear distinction. So you said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth Uh, overlap. Now there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. 
animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible was all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. Literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. A lot in that, okay? And, and again, I want to acknowledge there might be some angst or some kind of, we're ingesting a ton. And you're like, I just ate turkey. I've got tryptophan flowing through the through me right now. I'm tired. Um, l- let me just kind of acknowledge again, we're going through some of the kind of murkiness right now um, that's, I think, necessary for us to really be able to get back to the simple. And so you saw that little image. Most of us, struggle to connect heaven because we have this idea that we're just going to be zapped up in some ethereal place out there. There will be singing. For those of you who love singing, that's great. For those who love robes and harps, that's great. But it's like, even for a lot of those people, it's like, well, what does that have to do with my life now? And um, I just want to acknowledge, like, we're all in that place. 
But but look, like think about this, okay? Look at me. Is it is it important for us to connect the dots for that day, for the kingdom of heaven, to to our day now, to your life now, to hope? Some of us don't feel full of hope and wonder how does hope, um, how is that defining my life right now? Yeah, maybe out there it's okay. I'll be in this ethereal place floating around, but what does that have to do with my life right now? We just say, well, just kind of white knuckle it, get through this. It'll be better then. So let me just kind of um, and ask the question we're asking. Well, how did we get then? Why is most of us, why do we have a, an understanding of beat me up, Scotty, go to heaven, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise, like he kind of talked about there on the video, out there, and why do we struggle to connect the dots? So let me just do a quick little history lesson for some of us. It may confuse us even more, but I think will help connect some of the dots, okay? Um, it, it, it hasn't always been this way for a long time, actually. The, all people, or a lot of people throughout the world, were really anticipating um, the, the kingdom of heaven coming. And in fact, in, um, the, in the time of like the 19th century, a lot of people actually thought that day was here, was coming. There were all kinds of things like the Industrial Revolution, and you see it in art and in all kinds of things where mankind thought, we've arrived, like um, we're starting to establish heaven on earth, and then the scientific revolution, and all kinds of things happened, and people were thinking like, we're here, we've arrived, like we're, and there was even in America, even some really sinful things that broke in, like manifest destiny and oppressing other people and thinking, well, yeah, this is just the kingdom of God coming. We take over other people and wipe out other people because the kingdom of God is coming. And then um, we got kind of stopped in our tracks as a world because something called World War I happened. Um, nobody in here remembers World War I. But um, it was like the first time in the world that just there was no sense of good. Okay, it was really hard to think that heaven was now on earth, right? It was the most, just the biggest atrocity the world on a global scale had ever known. And um, all kinds of depression and financial struggle and, and death and plagues and all these things surrounded this time. So all of a sudden, the pendulum swung to this other extreme where people thought, um, we've talked about this, right? The sacred and secular divide. Clearly, the world's a mess. There's no connection between God and spiritual things and what we're experiencing. So the only hope we have is to think of an out there, other than world, where God's out there and we just kind of live our lives right now and it doesn't really have anything to do with each other. And again, um, philosophy and scientific r- 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 revolution and all these things we start to think of like, we now have the capacity in our own hands and there's a spiritual and there's a physical world and, you know, I'm more of a science person. Those things don't really relate. And that was just not true before that time. Okay, before kind of post-World War I time. So what do we do in this time? We look to Jesus. Okay, we acknowledge maybe some of the questions we still have. We have community, we have conversation, but it all comes back to looking to Jesus, to fighting to connect the dots. So I'm just going to look through a couple more things here, okay? Stay um, with me, and as we consider um, Jesus coming and dying and sending his followers out with a message of good news, 
that, that is centered on Jesus saying, I'm making all things new. I'm going to read a, a passage in Revelation 21 that, that will help us kind of start to develop that muscle of anticipation for the kingdom of God and what that means for us today. An author says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Okay, hear me on this, right? If you've been exposed to Christianity much at all, if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian here, you've heard, hopefully you've heard, and let me explain it right now. You've heard this idea of justification, right? We saw it some in that. You've heard that we have sinned and are separated from God and need to be restored with Him relationally by placing our trust in Jesus. Okay, that's what, that's the big theological term, justification. And that is central to the work that Jesus is doing. That is central to the baby born in a manger. We see that displayed on the cross. Okay, don't, don't hear me saying that is not central. If you're here and you've never put your trust in Jesus, I'm, I'm calling you, I'm pleading with you. You need to be restored. You need to be um, relationally renewed and, and, and entered in by putting your trust in Jesus and His provision by His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. But hear me, that is not the full of the good news. That is incredible, all right? I cannot minimize that. Don't go there. Don't hear me saying that's a, that is enormous. However, we have a king. We have a hero that doesn't go to the bully and say, Hey, um, I'm now going to pick him up and clean the wounds and stuff and just take care of, the, of that most significant wound and not deal with the bully. Right? We have a king, we have a hero who says the bully has taken so much. All of creation, all of life, relationally, in every way, has been marred by sin. The bully's fingerprints are all over it. And we have a hero in Jesus, and we see a picture of it there, of Jesus coming, and through His death, through His victorious resurrection, and through His promise to make all things new, grabbing the bully, holding him upside down by his ankles, and shaking him out so that every last cent Everything that has been stolen from God and His plan and His people, where we would live as God's people, bearing His image, knowing Him, living in all of life, an act of worship. Is that different from this ethereal, far-out place that a lot of us have kind of adapted and kind of think it has nothing to do with my life now? So as, as we prepare to close, I want to ask us, what do we do now? Look to Jesus. We enter back into the simple. 
What do we do as a church? Means we celebrate, we anticipate the ways when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done right now. It means we talk in our families. I, I, I'll share it in the next coming weeks, but conversations that we've started having with our kids of building anticipation. Well, how is the kingdom coming now? And building ways to celebrate things that are good in this life. And things that we see evidences of Jesus' rule and reign now. It means as a people together we celebrate that. It means we are a beacon of hope to the, the city around us. In ways we engage through our benevolence offering. Through, through Arizona 127. Through caring and loving for orphans and people in foster care. It means we're saying no, the kingdom, the hope of Jesus' rule and reign is starting to be realized now. And it also means we learn to mourn with those who are mourning, with those who are experiencing life that says, I'm, that kingdom you're talking about does not feel real. It feels far away and hopeless. Okay, as we, as we close, we come back to the very simple place, saying, look to Jesus. I'm going to read out of one last verse that sets us up. This is, 2,000 years ago, these people heard this, and it's appropriate for you and me today, in this Advent season, in this Christmas season. In James chapter 5, the author says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. In this Christmas season, are you like a lot of members of my own family who think, this whole Jesus thing, i got to get my life cleaned up for. This whole coming of the kingdom thing, the, the rapture, the, big, the new heavens and the new earth, what do I need to be doing? What do, you get prepared by turning to Jesus, by clinging to Jesus. The word repentance means turn to Jesus. Whatever distracts you and me, whatever our minds are set on the things of man, it means we look to Jesus. It means we recognize and we are excited about ways that his kingdom is coming now and ways that we get to be the agents through whom his good works are coming. And we also give the message of hope we look to the day when Jesus fully restores all things. We look to Jesus. We wait with eager, patient anticipation. It means we look for the return of the King in whom we have everlasting, real life hope. Let's pray. Yeah, uh, Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. Um, very simply, very plainly, um, acknowledging Jesus is coming. This is, this is imminent. It's not something that's just going to, um, it's not a theory. It's not um, a what if. And, you know, it's, and Lord, hopefully for all of us, whether we have known you and uh, would, are, are, have called ourselves Christians our entire lives, or this is the first time we're hearing this, Lord, may we be um, shaken even to remember uh, what when we hear or say Jesus is the reason for the season, it's not just meaning 
put on a happy face, sing some carols, drink some hot chocolate, and try to be happy, disconnected from this ethereal, far-off place that is called heaven, and this kind of hypothetical or theoretical conversation that we have about end times and what it all has to do, and seemingly unrelated to our lives now. Lord, will you bring us to Jesus, Holy Spirit, as we pray, as we respond, as we sing. But I pray that you are transforming us, shaping all of life to be all for Jesus, in whom we have hope. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.